Hello and welcome aboard another episode of the Galant Says Podcast, available live exclusively on Twitch, twitch.tv slash Says, but also wherever you get your podcasts, whether that be Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, SoundCloud, if you haven't already, rate, review, like, etc. whatever you can do to support the show, I very much appreciate it. It is Monday, April 18th of 2022. And this was an interesting weekend for me as I continue my experimentation, my two baseball team situation, which I know in the eyes of some is an absolute travesty. It's unnatural. It's disgusting, but whatever. I don't particularly give a rat's ass about that. You know why? Because, well, guys, look. I covered the Houston Astros. I covered the Seattle Mariners. I feel like I should be allowed to root for both teams. It's a little different for me. I haven't lived in one city my whole life. I've lived in a bunch of different ones. I don't like the Red Sox anymore, but I do like the Astros more than I like the Mariners, but I still like the Mariners, and it's weird being back in Houston because there's a part of me that's always going to like the Mariners, and especially now that this young team seems to be taking off, I felt like I was in on the ground floor. Alas, things didn't work out at my last job. Now I am back in Houston talking about the team I used to, a team that maybe isn't going to be able to hold down the rest of the American League West the way that they have been for much of the past half decade. But you think this is unnatural. I asked this on Twitter on Friday. Are you allowed to root for multiple sports teams in the same league? Asking for a friend who wants both baseball teams to have fun tonight. 60.2% of you said no. 39.8% of you said yes. It's close enough to 50% where I feel like I'm not that disgusting of a human being. And I really do feel like my rationalization, my justification is just, but I got to admit, you know, having watched the series that we just did, I felt like the Astros embarrassed me in front of my Seattle friends. I mean, 11 to one, you lose on Friday. Jesus. Saturday, Justin Verlander looks like Justin Verlander, but 7-2 to two on Sunday. I mean, the Mariners are the team with the young bats that are supposed to be getting up to speed. Julio Rodriguez, Jared Kelnick, those guys actually did all right in the series, but you have, even if Jordan Alvarez is out, Alex Bregman, Jose Altuve, Michael Brantley, in addition to... Kyle Tucker, Yuli Gurriel. Maybe they're not available for you every single game, and it's only been nine games, but, I mean, the Astros have sucked at the plate to open up the year. And it was a lot more apparent against Seattle, a team that could barely hit it all last year. Am I concerned that the Astros aren't going to ever be able to hit this year? No, but I, I was honestly turned off by... A lot of the eh, collective shrugging. I'm not saying panic. I'm saying be pissed or just call them out. Yeah, they've been to five straight American League Championship Series, but hold them to the standard that they have set for themselves. And some of the excuses that we have seen, I, I, I feel like they're lame. It's early. Okay, so we're never supposed to talk about anything that annoys us about the team until 
May, June, July, we just shut the fuck up for the whole first month of the year. That's not how sports talk radio works. It was a long road trip. Yeah, I get that. They're baseball players. This isn't that demanding of a job. It wasn't a full spring training. Well, all 30 teams were dealing with that. The complete opening day lineup is only played together once. That's fair. Again, as I listed, you have tons of bats. Tons of them. Some of our players start slow. Blah, 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 blah. The excuses get fucking annoying. That's what I'm trying to say here. And if you're adding all those excuses up and you're talking about a team that's been to five straight American League Championship Series, I mean, what kind of standard are you holding the team up to? I'm an elitist sports fan. I grew up a Patriots fan, and basically, if I'm impressed by something, I feel like I should really have my socks blown off. The Astros have done that, but when they're not living up to that standard, call them out. That's what an arrogant sports fan does. That's what I do. It's early, no doubt about it, but the general way that baseball fans act, it's a turnoff. I mean... It's an 162-game season. I get it. The regular season ultimately really doesn't matter that much. It's all about, okay, well, what happens once you get to the playoffs? And there is an assumption that the Astros will make the playoffs, much like it's sort of an assumption that the first round of the playoffs for the Astros is the American League Championship Series. But I'm just surprised by how many of you people are of the mindset that, oh, it's early. You don't care. No, the bats have sucked. They've been fucking awful. Do you want the numbers? I'm sure they're going to wake up, and I'm not saying that this is like a deal breaker for me. It's only been nine games. You can keep saying that. I'll keep saying that. But, I mean, thus far, they're slashing 208, 289, 372. That's fucking awful. They're averaging 3.4 runs a game. Also awful. 31 total runs, eight came in one inning. 191 with runners in scoring position. 15 runs the last seven games. I mean, that's barely more than two. 40 hits the last seven games. We're talking what? Six hits a game then? Only six teams have a lower batting average than the Astros right now. Kyle Tucker struggling. Altuve struggling. Bregman's cooled down. Gurriel struggling as well. And I'm sure that a lot of these situations will be rectified. I just think it's fucking unacceptable. I don't think any of the Astros feel differently. I'm sure that some of them are just as frustrated as I am right now. Stone Jam 206 says it was 49 degrees in Seattle. I don't give a shit about that stuff. You know, I know that it's a factor. Maybe that's why Carlos Correa is only hitting 133 to start off. But are we really going to point at weather too? Like there's so many things that if you're an Astros fan right now, you can point to as excuses for the for the slow start. And I'm just of the mindset that no, fuck that. Like you're the Astros. Shouldn't start off slow. And then people are telling me, oh, man, you must be new to baseball. No, I just give a shit about every single game, I guess. And I talk about the season the same way that anyone from Boston or anyone from New York would. Don't you feel like you're the same kind of baseball market as those two teams? That's how they talk about shit like this. They actually give us a, a rat's ass about something that takes place in the middle of game number 15 or game number 29, etc. Like, it matters. Uh, I already muted you. What up, Pauly G? My panic is at a three. I think the bats will wake up to some extent, but they definitely won't be as good as last year. Look at the AL in general. It's kind of a muck race right now. The best team is six and three, so there is time. No one is dominating the American League like the Dodgers and Mets to start it out in the NL. See, 
that's an interesting point, though. Because the Dodgers and Mets, don't you look at the Astros the same way you look at the Dodgers and the Mets? I mean, the only thing with the Astros right now that I look at and I'm concerned about is the bullpen long term. Especially now that Ryan Presley is on the 10-day IL with uh, knee inflammation. Starting rotation is pretty good, and they don't even have Lance McCullough healthy. You saw what you saw from Justin Verlander on Saturday. I've listed all the bats that they have. It's a nine-game road trip. I'm not saying go undefeated, but the pitching gave you enough where you should have seven. I mean, the pitching was pretty damn good outside of on Friday against Seattle. You should be better to open up the year. And and please explain to me, the, the people that like don't get any emotional reaction to early baseball games, like explain then why you watch. Like, Do you even care? That's what I don't get. I don't even like baseball that much. I don't. It's my third favorite sport. I'm just surprised by how many of you seem casually indifferent to a team struggling at the plate when they're the clear American League favorites. Stone Jam 206 says, New York and Boston do take it to another level. And I'm from Boston, so this is part of it too. This is why I'm overreactionary. But, I mean, shit, if you talk about baseball, what do you want to say? Like, is every single conversation, well, give it time. Well, give it time. Well, give it time. Well, what's the fucking point of me doing a radio show, you know? And the other conversations aren't that entertaining to me. Like, oh, well, let's see what you could do with the rotation when guys get here. And theoretical what ifs. Like, that's kind of one of the things that makes me annoyed with draft coverage. The draft... You can make all these mock drafts and put all this information, uh, take all this information and put all this energy into putting together a mock draft and talk to as many people as you can and do your own scouting and all of these things. And I respect the people who do it, but ultimately the draft happens and it goes totally different than we expected or hope that it might based off of our prognostications. So I don't even really enjoy talking about the draft before it, but in the moment when baseball games are actually taking place, I want to talk about what is currently happening and what could happen down the road. But what currently is happening right now is what we have available in front of us. doesn't mean that I'm saying definitively the Astros bats should be concerned. I'm not saying that. I am just annoyed by the amount of excuses that have been being put out there. And because there have been so many excuses listed for a baseball team that is always in the American League Championship Series, I, on the Nick, on the Nick Cage scale of panic, one being low, the Nick pa- Cage panic meter, that's, that's better. Rolls out the tongue a little bit better. One being low, five being high. I am at a two right now, which is not at the absolute lowest. Like a lot of you casual Astros fans, I guess you are, are. Uh, what else do we got here? I already muted you. Honest question. Do you think the Yankees are acting like that right now after losing to a Baltimore Orioles squad? I would be more scared if we lost two out of three to Baltimore versus Seattle. Probably not. I mean, I think right now, though, in New York, there is a lot of pressure on Brian Cashman on Aaron Boone. And I'll be honest, I guess I, I don't even know what the hell the ankles, the Yankee, the ankles. Did I call them the ankles? Jesus. Um, I'm looking at their schedule right now. I mean, they did win two or three against Boston to open the year. They split their seasons. They split their series with Toronto. <sighs> I would be a little concerned losing two or three to Baltimore. A little bit. So, I I guess long way of answering your question, I already muted you. You lose two or three to anybody. You should at the very least say, well, that sucks. That's not good. 
just collectively shrug at it and not pay any attention to it? I mean, I guess we don't have to talk about it at all, but I mean, you may as well have some sort of reaction to it that involves emotion, right? And if you're the Yankees, you don't lose to the Orioles. If you're the Astros, the road trip, yeah, they went five and four on it. It was, by definition, a success. But you're better than the success that you accomplished, and you couldn't hit along the way. You hit like shit. It's been a really slow start for a lot of different guys, and I'm sure it will get better. I'm just saying right now that it needs to be called out, as opposed to just like, oh, whatever, it's going to be better. It's going to be fine. That's the way that it's being discussed is disgusting me. How about that? How about that? I guess disgust is probably a little ex- a little extreme. All right. Uh, I never thought I would say this. But I like Kyrie Irving. I know. I mean, you see the shirt I'm wearing right now. This is a Boston Celtics shirt. Twitch.tv slash Galan says again. And I saw Kyrie Irving yesterday at the TD Garden do a bunch of things that, I'm not going to lie, impressed the shit out of me. I mean, he was hitting ridiculous shots all game long. 39 points, 12 of 20 from the field, 6 of 10 from outside. Hit every single free throw that he had to take. And considering Kevin Durant did not play well, 9 of 24 from the field, that was a damn good performance by Kyrie Irving. But that's only... A small fraction of the story because you also saw Kyrie Irving being extremely comfortable talking shit. And I got to say, I, I really loved it. I mean, I really loved it. Let's go to a moment at halftime of this game, and I'm going to go uh, to the picture-in-picture picture right now so that we can actually see this, where Kyrie Irving's walking into the locker room, and this took place. Kyrie back in Boston, part two. I love it! Kyrie, you suck. Suck my dick, bitch! That's how guys talk to each other when they're talking shit. Want more from Kyrie Irving against the Boston crowd? How about this moment? This was fantastic. So, Jalen Brown in his face hits an unbelievable two-point shot, walks by the crowd. Oh, what was that? Was that a little birdie? Was that a little birdie? That, that, see, middle finger. That was a little birdie by Kyrie Irving. Can you believe they showed that on television? Think about the damn children. But he was delivering, talking shit to Boston fans and flicking them off along the way. Not just once, but uh, as we keep watching, technically his count was at three. Here's another moment. And this this was just perfect. Twitch.tv slash Galan says to watch it. Look at this. Behind his back, behind his hair, and then even better. Even better. Just making fun of the crowd. I love it. I mean, look, it's hard. Boston crowds, they're tough. They will go after you all game long. And I do feel like Boston fans, I am definitely biased, pretty damn smart. 
and know exactly when and where to go after somebody. A lot of people are like, oh, but they're all racist. I feel like there are racist fans just about everywhere. Boston definitely has its fair share, but I feel like for the most part, when a Boston fan is coming after you, it's usually just by being like a sarcastic asshole because that's kind of who we are, who we all are. But uh, Kyrie Irving was asked about his interaction with these Celtics fans in a game where, I mean, the Celtics won by the skin of their teeth. They played fantastic defense in a closeout situation uh, on both Kyrie Irving. Al Horford was awesome over the course of this game. And then on Kevin Durant. So they take game one after James, uh, Jason Tatum. And as I already muted you, I uh, said that spin move by Tatum was awesome. Yeah, I mean... I thought Marcus Smart was going to take a horrible three-point shot from the corner, uh, not from the corner, from uh, the wing, and he pump fakes it, dribbles through, passes the ball to Tatum as he cuts to the basket, and Tatum made an incredible catch to the spin move, and, and I don't know how he got that layup up. It was an incredible, just acrobatic move. But after the game, Kyrie Irving, he was asked about his interactions with Boston's fans. And... Uh... It looked like there were a couple times where you gave the fans uh, the finger. I'm curious, was there anything that you thought crossed the line today? And are you the kind of guy that gets motivated by kind of going back and forth with the fans? Do you kind of use that internally as uh, something to fire you up? Look, I, I mean, I'm, I'm just where I'm from. You know, I'm used to all these antics and people being close nearby. Um, you know, it's nothing new when I come into this building, what it's going to be like. But it's the same energy they have for me. And I'm going to have the same energy for them. And it's not every fan. I don't want to attack every fan, every Boston fan. But, um, you know, when people start yelling pussy and bitch and fuck you and all this stuff, it's but so much you can take uh, as a competitor. And, um, you know, we're the ones expected to be docile and be humble and take a humble approach. Nah, fuck that. It's the playoffs. This is what it is. You know, I, I've, I know what to expect in here. And it's the same energy I'm giving back to them. It is what it is. I'm not really focused on it. It's fun. You know what I'm saying? And like, like again, this, where I'm from, I, I've dealt with so much. So coming in here, it, you relish it as a competitor. And, and this is, uh, you know, I'm going to keep repeating myself when I say again, but this isn't my first time in TD Garden. So what you guys saw and what you guys think is as entertainment or the fans think is entertainment, all is fair in competition. You know, so if some somebody's going to call me out of my name, I'm going to look at them straight in the eye and see if they really bout it. Most of the time, they're not. Can I read to that? Hell fucking yeah. That's a great answer. And I love it. Honestly, I think Celtics fans should respect him a little more after this. And obviously, our issue with Kyrie Irving, if you are a Celtics fan, is that the guy said he was going to return to the Celtics when he never was actually going to return to the team. And he wasn't exactly the best teammate to a young team featuring Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown, and there was a mindset that, wow, if Kyrie Irving's healthy with this team, how far can they actually go? And then he just wasn't really ever checked in. Kyrie is his own guy. Clearly, NBA players love him. He's got all sorts of hot takes on things ranging from whether or not the earth is flat to the moon landing to COVID-19. And some of that stuff gets a little bit annoying. But right there, I thought that's about as well said as you possibly can put it when it comes to Fan interactions. Those players should be able to say fuck off. Absolutely. Every single time. Because that's what you are sometimes. If you're a Boston fan, if you're a Philadelphia fan, if you're a New York fan, that's that's generally what is being thrown at the opposition all game long. So hell yeah, they should be able to interact with you. And honestly, I'd, I'd love it. 
I'd love to have a, a player say, go fuck yourself, and then drop a three in my face and shut me the fuck up. Because what do you what do you do? Everything Irving did in yesterday's game, shut up. I would imagine tons of Celtics fans. And that kind of back and forth, it's it's more terrifying if you're a Celtics fan, but I, that's that's what sports should be all about. I loved it, I, and I loved every single moment of that answer by Kyrie Irving. Uh, Breezeaholic, I think Kyrie just made it more fun to hate him as a fan, which at the least makes the fans show up and have some extra energy. Feels slightly like Reggie Miller back in the day. Oh, did the cut not play? Did the audio not play? That's not good. Are we having issues with that again? Damn it. I could at the very least hear it, but if the cut didn't play, that's not good. Audio did work. Okay, cool. This is what happens when you don't know how to do anything from a technical perspective. You kind of are just uh, operating in the dark, but... I think with Reggie Miller, though, Reggie Miller was really step on your throat. I don't think Kyrie's quite there. And the the thing that with Kyrie Irving and the Celtics fans that Kyrie doesn't get, he thinks they should just move on. But no, we are petty assholes. We, <laughs> Bostonians hold a grudge. We still hate the British. It's been seven, what's it been, 300 years? We hold grudges. It's kind of what we do. And especially when it comes to sports, he's trying to approach it from a level-headed, hey, like, I mean, this is just my job kind of perspective. That's not not how it works in Boston. That's not how it works in Northeastern sports cities. I I feel like that's something that he should be able to get through his head. And this little back and forth that he had with the next question that was asked at his press conference, to me, this was uh, very surprising because... That last answer was great. This is where he starts being the same old, same old Kyrie. Let's continue the clip. That point, do you feel like the hostility that you get still? Let's not let's not focus on this. Like, ask me questions about the game. Like, it's not about the fans. The no, fans aren't from playing. A, from a basketball standpoint, yeah. do you feel like the hostility you get? There's no hostility, bro. It's basketball. Well, you were flicking some people off. I'd say there's some <laughs> hostility. From what? What, what point? Are you we, guessing that that's hostility or like hostility for me is like good, growing up? Well, we've never seen that from you this season where you are running down the floor flicking people off. This is the first time you actually caught it because it's a big time game. I respond in different ways. You know what I'm saying? I'm not trying to focus on that. If you want to ask me questions about the fans, go ask them. Go on the street and ask them questions. All right? But I'm asking from your perspective, from a basketball perspective, do you feel like the hostility that you get? It's not hostility, fans, bro. Do you feel like the energy you get from fans in this building brings out the best from you? Embrace it. Embrace it. It's the dark side. Embrace it. I mean, I like that last last part of that answer. But the way that he kind of tries to go around it. No, no, dude, this is the story. I mean, if you won, this isn't the story. But you lost, yes, by one point in a game where you played awesome. This is going to be the story when it comes to the actual Nets side of things, how you interact with the fans. I have no problem with it. I think any of the pearl clutchers out there who have a problem with the way Kyrie Irving acted are a bunch of ass clowns, and I don't want to interact with those people. Because, honestly, like there's nothing wrong that he did there. He was giving back the medicine that was being dealt his way. It's different for him. And I'm not a Kyrie Irving fan. I hope that is very clear on a lot of different fronts. But that last answer that you heard is why people get annoyed with Kyrie Irving. Because he's trying to seem a little bit deeper. You don't know what hostility is. It was all, I mean, you flicked him off. I mean, it's the same kind of thing that we would do to maybe somebody who cuts us off on the road. Assuming that you 
feel comfortable that the person doesn't have a gun or something like that. Because that happens. Road rage, Texas. I almost got run off the road runs road once. That was not fun. Um, <laughs> that was scary. Flicked off a guy who cut me off and that he was trying to run me off the road on the shoulder. Had to look up his license plate and tried to figure out if there's any repercussions, but you don't have a camera, no way to prove it. Whatever the case, um, that's hostility. A middle finger is hostile. Is it, I'm going to kill you and your family hostile? No, but it's hostile. So let's try not to act too big time here, Kyrie, with everything that you do. But for the most part, I have a newfound appreciation for Kyrie Irving after this game. All right, uh, something else I wanted to dive into uh, really quick. Because, I don't know, I, I'm not sure that I handled this as well as I could have. I think I got reactionary. I think that I'm still trying to squeeze some of the things that I picked up in Seattle out of me. And... I don't know. I got a little more sensitive and a little more empathetic when I was in Seattle. I don't think there's anything wrong with that necessarily, but sometimes you see things and you start feeling like you need to strongly react or condone something. And I didn't talk about this on the air, but I definitely had thoughts go through my head when the Houston Texans put out this tweet on Friday. Happy Passover to all who celebrate with two Texans players holding matzah instead of a football. And this turned into a conversation about whether or not this was okay or if the Texans should be canceled. Well, they've kind of canceled themselves already just by, you know, being bad at football and being messy. But this is a harmless tweet. And yet I see this in the moment and I see the way that some others are reacting to it in the moment. And I had thoughts going through my head that I felt like I needed to say, Oh, well, this is bad by the Texans. They shouldn't have done this, blah, blah, blah. And I'm embarrassed that those thoughts even went through my head. Should I always be thinking whether or not something is allowed? Or should I just look at it and say, oh, wow, look, there's a couple of Houston Texans players holding giant matzahs. I talked to a couple of my Jewish friends. I have many, many Jewish friends. They were basically like, yeah, this is harmless. And I remembered in the moment thinking, no, that's, that's perhaps not a smart move. I tweeted out with a retweet of this. They do love to talk about culture, so I assume Jack photoshopped it for the culture. Continuing saying, all I can think of right now is Jack Easterby trying to do another impersonation at his stand-up sermons. And if you haven't seen those, maybe I should pull those up really quickly. I don't know if I can find that in an extremely quick manner. But Jack Easterby, if you have not seen it before, he has... I think had a previous career as a stand-up comic and kind of interp and I brought it into his sermons and he does really bad impersonations. And for some reason, all I could think of was Jack used to be in the middle of that impersonation saying like, Oh, I'm from New York. I'm from Boston. Trying to do like an old Jewish grandmother impersonation. It went through my mind. 
That was the first thing that came to my mind. And maybe that's just the Jack Easterby effect. But the Texans were not being culturally insensitive. And yet, there I was, almost about to ride, ride into the void as a white knight. The white knight uh, who stands against Nazis. The white knight who stands against racism. I am against war. And in particular, invasions. I, the white knight, will take a stand that many others on Twitter will take and call something for what it needs to be called. Racist, problematic, whatever. I will ride into the void and I will win. I will win the day. Racism is bad, everybody. That has been the white knight. Maybe I'll get a costume or something like that. Oh, yeah. We got to talk about more things. Okay, let's talk about more things. This is maybe not sticking to sports, if you will. Why are people mad at Elon Musk? And I'll admit it. I'm looking at this in a way that is not as educated as some others. But people are really mad about the idea of Elon Musk buying Twitter. So... Last week, Musk offered to buy Twitter after like $54.20 a share. Buy it all. This is after backing out of an agreement to take a seat on Twitter's company board after disagreements over the company's future. But when he decided that he was going to try to buy all of this Twitter stock, Twitter enacted a poison pill provision, which would limit his ability to acquire more shares. I don't know much about stocks, business portfolios, etc. I don't know a lot about that shit. What I can say is, I don't get why people are so angry about the idea of him buying this. I mean, we saw, there's a Business Insider post from August of 2013. Billionaire Jeff Bezos' Washington Post buy marks a fascinating cultural transition in America. Same Website, Business Insider, Elon Musk's attempt to buy Twitter represents a chilling new threat. Billionaire trolls taking over social media. Well, wait, what? Isn't that, isn't that what Bezos did? Uh, as Breezaholic says, Elon is such a strange cat. You ain't kidding. Elon Musk is a weird guy. Very, very weird. But I don't get why people are so freaked out about him buying it. It seems like he just wants to allow some people who are on Twitter to go back on Twitter. Is that really dangerous? And I think it like specifically has to do with Donald Trump. Personally, I think Trump on Twitter is funny. Do I agree with everything he says? Obviously not. I still think it's funny. I kind of miss him being on it. But here are some of the tweets from, of course, blue check marks. God damn it. About Elon potentially buying Twitter. I am frightened by the impact on society and politics if Elon Musk acquires Twitter. He seems to believe that on social media, anything goes. For democracy to survive, we need more content moderation, not less. What? Well, eh, 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 I don't know about that one. More content moderation? No, I mean, the internet used to be the Wild West. Is the Wild West really creating that many problems? I know some people think, okay, when it comes to the whole, you know, uh, January 6th thing that maybe people need to be kept off the internet because of that. But I don't know. I mean, it, it, it feels like there is this delicate balance that 
we're not 100% sure how to tightrope when it comes to what is allowed and what isn't allowed with free speech. And it does seem like there's a lot of things that were being silenced by Twitter over the last couple of months. Like the idea that the virus came out of China, like that all of a sudden are plausible. What happens when that stuff is just completely suppressed, snuffed out? It's weird. Uh, more tweets. David Levitt. If Elon Musk successfully purchases Twitter, it could result in World War III and the destruction of our planet. Like, is that serious? He just bought Twitter. It's fucking Twitter. Twitter doesn't matter. It's not real. It's a stupid fucking shitty app. None of it's good. 280 characters or less. Let's have nuanced arguments with that. That's going to work. Uh, Christopher Boozy, this game Elon Musk is playing with Twitter is dangerous. Twitter isn't just another social media platform, and Elon clearly recognizes that. Well, I mean, yeah, he does. I, I feel like he thinks there's some censorship going on. I, that's that's what I think his idea is. And look, maybe he abuses it himself. I wouldn't be surprised by that. I'm not saying he's not going to. I'm just uh, surprised by the amount of people that are like, oh, Twitter's fine as it is. You can't have someone buying it and changing it. Uh, Walter Schaub, Elon Musk is making a play for Twitter out of his petty cash drawer. One example of why the pooling of so much wealth in the hands of a few is a societal disease. Okay, Jeffrey Bezos, whatever. Uh, Twitter is too important to be owned and controlled by a single person. The opposite should be happening. Twitter should be decentralized. Well, how about you have a better fucking board? Like, isn't that the issue? The board sucks? Anyway, sorry. I'm all over the place on this one. I wish I knew more facts. All I know is I don't think that we should be so freaked out by the idea of Elon Musk buying Twitter. Uh, Breezeaholic says it's got to be the Trump angle. That or just how he, Elon, tends to tweet something out that directly impacts some stock and or crypto. That, yeah, that's, that one's actually fair. Uh, like when he jokingly tweeted out he was going to take Tesla private again, then the stock plummeted, and then he bought a bunch of it. Yeah, that's fair. He is a troll. That definitely could have had an effect. But it is funny that that could lead to an effect too. Maybe that goes to show you that Twitter needs a little bit less power. Uh, Emily asks, how did the house hunt go on Friday? Saw five places. Um, two of them were ridiculous in that they were nice, but calm down with the asking price for them. Uh, one was too big for me. Seemed honestly like it was in my price range and it was in a decent area. And then there's one that I like and it's a possible fixer upper. So I'm actually going to go see that one again this week. There's two more that I'm going to see. So that's how the house search is going. Uh, it's more of a condo search. We ain't, we ain't making house, uh, <laughs> house mortgage payments anytime soon. Okay. Um, once again, a little more uh, talk about, I guess, politics. I have consistently been confused by a lot of the things that the CDC has been asking us to do throughout the pandemic. And I feel like you should be allowed to ask why. That's it. This is not me getting out a tiki torch and a pitchfork and saying, I'm going to go fucking march on insert wherever headquarters are to... uh, decapitate somebody with a guillotine. You know, this is not, this is not the French revolution I'm trying to instigate. I feel like we should all be allowed to ask questions when things don't make any fucking sense. So please help me put these two together because these are two headlines from the same day. This came out of Florida. A Florida federal judge said Monday that the Biden administration could not require masks be worn on airplanes and public transportation. The Centers for Disease Control and Prevention does not have the authority to introduce a mask mandate and did not follow the proper rules to implement a mandate. The mask mandate had been in place since January of 2021, but last week the CDC extended it through May 3rd. It was supposed to expire April 
15th today. So I don't know what happens next. I don't think that this means all of a sudden that tomorrow you're going to be able to go on a plane and not wear a mask or on a train and not wear a mask. There's probably going to be some sort of appeal. But I have always been confused about the whole mask thing when it came to planes because, first off, all of these airlines claim that they have these great filtration systems. Well, if they have these great filtration systems, what is the mask really preventing when you're essentially like sitting on the lap of the person next to you? Think about this. How many people actually wear like the M95 masks on planes? No, most people are wearing cloth masks. Surgical masks, I guess they can prevent the spread of COVID-19. But who actually knows fucking shit about any of this stuff as it is? And it's all a lost cause. As soon as one person takes the mask down, takes a sip of water, eats a bunch of the (laughs) delicious nuts that are handed out on the plane, like it's over right then and there. Just one person. That's it. It's over. And yet, we've been very big about this whole, you must keep the mask on on a plane. And I follow the rules when I'm on a plane. I'm not one of those people that's going to make a big thing out of it because I don't really want to pay a federal fine of like $10,000, get kicked off a plane, miss the miss out on actually making it to my destination on time. Like I, I'm trying to just get from point A to point B and have as little people interact with me as possible. That's what most people, I think, do when they're flying around. But I... It's weird how the masks have been still such a thing. And, okay, so you have a federal judge saying that the mask mandate from the Biden administration on airplanes and public transportation, which seemingly makes sense at face value until you think about some of the other things, like, again, taking off the mask to eat and drink. Then you have this. U.S. colleges reinstate max requirements. So Georgetown... Losers. Rice University, Columbia University, Johns Hopkins University, and American University have all reinstated mask mandates across campus. Uh, This from the Georgetown University. Because of a significant increase in COVID-19 cases, the indoor mask requirement is back. So at least it's not like walking around campus mask policy or something like that. I'm just... I'm just lost as to where are we when it comes to this? Like, I know having left Seattle that the masks came back for a little bit of time and that people all of a sudden after going back to work were out back uh, at their homes doing the shows, people I used to work with. And I, I, I've always been perplexed about that side of things. But now that I feel like we, we have we have not reached the finish line, but we have reached the point of this isn't going to be allowed to get in the way of operating our day-to-day lives like we had in the past. What is the mask stuff doing? What is it stopping? What is it accomplishing? I I, I really don't think Stone Jam 206 says it's preventing a good travel experience. Like that's that's kind of all I know it's doing right now. And I feel like we should be able to move on from this stuff. And maybe this federal judge means that we can stop, you know, this seemingly just act of showmanship of putting one on. It doesn't seem to be preventing anything, and especially as soon as you take down the mask, like, what the fuck's the point? So why are these universities doing it? I I don't get it. I'm glad that I am just in a state where I don't have to deal with this bullshit anymore because it was very frustrating when I was up in Seattle. Anyway, 
a lot of thanks for uh, tuning in to today's edition of the Galant Says Podcast. Went a little long on today's show, but appreciate y'all tuning in. Make sure if you haven't already, twitch.tv slash Galant Says is where you go. That's how you can interact with the show live as it happens. But if you don't want to do that, the podcast is available wherever you get your podcasts. Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, SoundCloud, et cetera. Thank you so much for tuning in. Have yourselves a wonderful Monday. So long, farewell, and you will hear me again tomorrow at 3 o'clock.